Ephesians 3.1. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, bigger picture people. You can be seated. In 2005, actually September 23rd, according to my records, I spoke about this, and we've been talking about volunteers and perspectives on ministry, and I've had different things in my mind. There's always more to teach and preach than you have time to do that. But I felt like the Lord especially directed me to this thing to go back and revise and revisit this idea of Paul's perspective on what was going on in his life. Now, life is filled with a lot of ordinary details and a lot of requirements and mediocrity, and it's easy to reduce our lives to the drudgery of every day, to the mundane, and we can feel like we're earthbound prisoners to the minutia of life. And I've learned that how we think about our lives, how we see our lives, whether we can't see the forest for the trees, we're stuck in the details, we're so, so caught up in the circumstances of our lives that we can't see our way out, we lose sight of eternity, can affect us. And uh, what I want to try to do tonight is through the example of the Apostle Paul and the Word of God to try to help us kind of lift ourselves up above the morass of the daily life to see from a little different perspective, to be bigger picture people. I want you to see the hand of God in your life, to have hope in the middle of what you may think are circumstances that are out of your control. We believe that there is a God who is above all, He is through all, and He is in you all. That He began a good work in us, that He will complete it or perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. We believe that He is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. We serve a God who didn't just start something in us. He intends to complete it all the way to our last breath or the coming of the Lord. Now there's an expression that many of us grew up hearing that some people are so heavenly minded that they're not of any earthly good. I've never really met that person that was truly so heavenly minded that they were not of any earthly good. Paul spoke about that day. And when you live your life in the light of eternity, it changes your perspective on today. It changes the way you make decisions, the values you embrace, the relationships that you allow in your life are all affected by the way you view your life. And if you get stuck in the nasty now and now, you're going to lose this bigger picture and you're going to lose sight of eternity. The Apostle Paul was a bigger picture person. The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul from prison, most likely prison in Rome. And when the Lord saved Paul, he gave him a powerful destiny that his life would fulfill for the glory of God. In Acts 9.15, the Lord actually spoke this to the man Ananias who prayed for Saul of Tarshish, who became the Apostle Paul, and baptized him in Jesus' name. The Lord said to Ananias, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now what if God spoke over your life and he told you, 
that he was going to use you in such an amazing way that one day you would have a private audience with the governor of Georgia, with all the senators and congressmen that represent our country, and that one day you would have a private meeting in the Oval Office with the President of the United States of America, you would probably say, I can't believe that God had such great things for my life. And then the Lord told Ananias the path that was going to lead Paul to stand before kings in verse 16. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Well, there's a little twist on that big plan. You've got great things designed for Paul. He's going to stand before kings and he's going to be in places that most of us could only dream about testifying of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now you learn that Paul is going to have to go through a path. He's going to get there through a really unusual uh, course that God has for his life. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 20, Paul referred to himself as an ambassador in bonds. A man in prison, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Now I've talked many times through the years about the ways of God. That God has strategic ways of putting his people in key places. He doesn't work by what we think was orthodoxy. You know, the way up is down. And if you humble yourself beneath the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you in due season. We spoke about a vision recently or a dream, that there is the birth of that dream, the death of that dream, and the supernatural fulfillment of a dream that God has placed in your heart. God wants to put Joseph in the palace in Egypt. So he first puts him in a pit. And when he gets out of the pit, later he gets put in a prison. And then from the prison, finally to the palace. And until his word came, the Bible said that the word of the Lord tried him. That may sound like an unusual path, but you know, I love this idea that when God wanted to make something great out of Joseph, he had to make him the kind of man that could handle a dream that big. And that's exactly the path he had for Paul. Paul was on a trajectory to stand before great men in his life that God had a different path of how he would stand before Caesar, the emperor of the Roman Empire. You would think that maybe, you know, Caesar would call him up and say, Paul, if you'll just meet us at the Jerusalem airport, Air Force One will be there to pick you up. We're going to fly you straight to Rome. You're going to land in the Roman, you know, emperor's airport. You're going to come into my office. He's going to put a robe on you so you'll kind of be fit for a king. And we're going to sit down and talk. But it didn't quite work that way. He went there as a prisoner. Now, it all started out by Paul obeying what I think was not the best advice of people who were in authority in his life. Paul... Uh, it goes back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21. And it gives a report of the great things that God is doing among the Gentiles. And all of the elders that are in Jerusalem tell him, You know, Paul, that is so great. We're glad to hear the wonderful things that God is doing through your ministry. But let me tell you what, there's a lot of Jewish Christians, and they're going to hear that you've come. And they're going to think that you walk disorderly, and you're not keeping the ceremonial law. So here's what we want you to do. We've got four men who have a vow on them. We want you to take this vow with them. 
shave your head, pay the expenses for these four men, take this Jewish vow, and if you'll do that, we think everybody's going to be happy. And he said, no, we've already explained that these Gentiles don't have to follow these same codes, but we want everybody to know that you walk orderly and you keep the law. Now, this is Acts 21. This is not Acts 1. You know, this is 21 chapters and maybe a couple decades or more into the book of Acts. And they're still, you know, calling Paul back to this old thing. So Paul, he does what a, a godly person does. He submits to the advice of his elders. He goes in the temple. He purifies himself. He pays the offering for all of these men plus himself. And right at the end of this season of keeping this vow... They find out that Paul is in the temple. They come and Acts 21, 27 says that they laid hands on Paul. He became a prisoner off and on for the rest of his life because of obeying the advice of the people that were God's uh, really authority in his life. Now, I don't know about you, but when things like that have happened to me, I've kind of struggled with a bad attitude. But as I said the other day, I don't always have a right attitude, but because I have a Bible, I know what the right attitude is supposed to be. So I've just got to wrestle my flesh down to obedience to the Bible. Well, here's Paul, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he could have said, I, Paul, Ephesians 3 and 1, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Roman government. Because he was. He could have called himself a prisoner of backslidden Judaism. He could have adopted the identity that he was Paul the victim of the Jewish deep state. He could have said he was at the fate of fake news. Because they lied on him to get him in jail. Paul could have gotten bitter against those that advised him to take this vow. And it was clearly bad advice. And his obedience put him in harm's way. But when you look at what Paul said, at least 11 times he refers to his imprisonment, but in Ephesians 3 and 1 and 4 and 1, he refers to himself as the prisoner of Jesus Christ. So I want you to just stop right now and I want you to think about circumstances that you may be in in your life that are out of your control. And when you see those circumstances, maybe it's a relationship you feel trapped in. Maybe it's a job you feel stuck in. Maybe it's a health issue that you battle that you cannot escape. And you can look at the circumstances in your life. You can be a small picture person. You can look at what is, it, what is around you, going on around you, and you can say that I am a victim of this or that. Or you can say, there is a God in heaven. He sits on the circle of the earth. He is sovereign, which means he can do anything he wants. He is wise, which means he does everything according to his wisdom. And he loves me more than I can even imagine. His thoughts toward me are more than I can number. He's graven my name in the palms of his hands. He is my, I am ever before him. He loves me with an everlasting love. And I know that while he is sovereign and while he is wise, that he loves me. 
And I refuse to say that I am a prisoner of my circumstances. I am here ultimately at the bidding of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Acts 26, 29, he's testifying. He said, I, I wish you were all like me except for these bonds. Acts 28, 16, he dwells in his own house with the soldier that kept him. Acts 28, 20, he said, for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Ephesians 3, 1, my text, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6 and 20, I am an ambassador in bonds. Ephesians 4 and 1, I had that out of order. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Colossians 4 and 3, I'm going to speak the mystery of Christ. This was my text Sunday in Bremen, for which I am also in bonds. Colossians 4, 18, Paul said, remember my bonds. In 1 Timothy 1 and 16, he commended those who were not ashamed of his chains, his bonds, or his shackles. In 2 Timothy 2 and 9, he said, I am suffering trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. This is one of my favorite phrases in the New Testament. But the word of God is not bound. I'm in prison, but the gospel is not in prison. Philemon, verse 10 he speaks of Onesimus, this runaway slave that was begotten in my bonds. Paul led Onesimus to Jesus Christ while he was in prison and sent him back to his slave owner, Philemon. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, I want to read all of these verses. Paul said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day unto now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, but you are all partakers of my grace. Paul said that while I'm in prison, I am thankful that God is at work in your life, and I know that he is at work in my life by implication. Paul was not ashamed to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He is a brilliant intellectual, highly educated at a feat of Gamaliel, the leading theologian of his day. And now his life is reduced to the life of a prisoner. Do you rationalize this? This is a man who should be running free in Jerusalem. He should not be locked up in jail. He shouldn't be confined like this. We know because we can look back that his imprisonment becomes the place where he writes some of what we call the prison letters. He is productive in prison because he is not there at the fate of the Roman government. He does not see himself as a victim of all the circumstances of his life. But I remind you again, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, because ultimately, whatever is going on in my life, he either sent it, allowed it, has not chosen to remove it. Even the three times that Paul prayed that the thorn in his flesh would be removed, the Lord responded to him by saying, Paul, 
My grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That's why Paul said, more rather I will glory in infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because it doesn't really matter what is going on in my life. There is a Lord in heaven who is in charge of everything all the time. I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, a bigger picture person. He could see past the prison cell, past the chains, to see that God could deliver him in an instant. Peter was delivered from prison. The apostles, early in Acts 4 and 5, delivered from prison with just a stroke of his hand, his word. Everything could be changed. But God in his ultimate purpose has allowed this from the very beginning of his salvation. He is a chosen vessel unto me to appear before kings. And I will show him how great things he will suffer for my name. Paul refused to let his captors define his identity. They may have thrown him stale bread. They may have cursed him. They may have mistreated him. He was beaten for the gospel in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas locked up in prison. We love the end of that story a whole lot better than the beginning. But he was beaten and thrown in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he would not let those who held him captive hold his attitude captive. I, Paul, prisoner of Jesus Christ. The word of God is not bound. I'm an ambassador in bonds. So let me ask you today, how are you responding to your chains? How are you handling the circumstances that you would love to change and you've been praying that God would change, but he is not? Are you going to be a little picture person just stuck with seeing what is right in front of you and right around you? Are you going to be a bigger picture person that sees the ultimate purpose of God in your life? It's amazing that when the Lord, Jesus Christ, taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray as bigger picture people. Now they said, Lord, teach us to pray, like John taught his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the Lord did teach them to pray. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, before you get into asking about bills and food and clothing, it's okay to ask those things. It's in the Lord's prayer. But I want you to start your prayer with recognizing who I am, that I am sovereign that I am your Father, that I am at work in your life. I want you to first of all acknowledge who I am, and I want you to pray that my kingdom would come, and my will would be done in earth as it is in heaven. And then he said, pray for your daily needs in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Now most of us really don't live day to day. But some people around the world do. They live from day to day. 
We say some people live from paycheck to paycheck, but they live from day to day. If you were Israel wandering in the wilderness, you literally lived from day to day. And daily bread probably to their minds kind of brought a picture of that manna falling from heaven every day. You know, twice as much the day before the Sabbath. So they wouldn't work on the Sabbath day. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We know in the Bible that if we do not forgive the people that have trespassed against us, that our Heavenly Father will not forgive us. So we recognize that it's got to flow out of us. If I'm talking about forgiveness. That forgiveness has to flow from us if it is going to flow to us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And by the way, Jesus said, why don't you end your prayers with the bigger picture? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We can get stuck in the middle of the Lord's Prayer where all we see is daily bread and the people that have wronged us and the temptations that we face. But the Lord wanted us to be bigger picture people. He wanted us to see the kingdom of God coming in our lives, that we are not stuck in our circumstances. We are not stuck on planet Earth, that there's an eternal destiny for the people of God, that we are people who are designed for eternity. We have a future and a hope in Jesus Christ. We are bigger picture people. The Lord knows that we need daily bread. He knows we need forgiveness. He knows that we need to resist temptation. But he doesn't want us to get bogged down with the cares of this life and forget who's in charge of it all. In Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, verse 24, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or that which money uh, can provide. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought or don't be worried, don't be anxious. Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and body more than raiment? In other words, Jesus is saying, you can get stuck in the things that I promised to provide and forget the things that are more important in your life, right? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Now I know there's a lot of people that have tried to make sure we respect animal rights, and, and I think there's a lot of good in that. But we are not equal to the animals. Jesus himself said that he, we're much better than them. And he sees when sparrows fall, and he told us not to be cruel to the animals that we own. That's the scriptural teaching, right? When the, it is. So, and if you, if, you, if you ruthlessly, you know, spank your donkey, the Lord might let him speak to you. Someone on your terms, you know, like. I knew it would kind of break in on you in a moment. Donkey, Balaam. Okay. 
That's really not in Matthew 6.26. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? Some translations say, a step to the journey of your life. Believe me, if you could, when I was a teenager, I would have. You can't make that happen. And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? He's teaching us to not get stuck in the daily junk of our lives, on the things that go wrong, on the things that we cannot control. And so he, he's teaching, Jesus is teaching, verse 31, Therefore take no thought, don't be anxious, right? Saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Verse 32, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Gentiles refers to people who do not have a God. They have no heavenly Father. So in their mind, it's up to them. So that's why they cheat, cut corners, rob and steal, do whatever they can to get ahead, to make an extra buck, because they believe if they cheat principles, they can get ahead. But God's people know if you live by principles, God will bless you more than you could ever get ahead by doing it your way. The Gentiles are preoccupied with these things that Jesus has just talked about, food and clothing and, you know, all of these natural things of life. Jesus is not saying they're not important. He just says you've got a dad in heaven who cares about you, who loves you, who will take care of these things. And the Gentiles, who don't know they have a father in heaven, that's all they live for, and they can't get past that. Now here's the verse, the bigger picture verse, Matthew 6.33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Not only is it right to be a bigger picture person, it's actually better, right? It's a superior way to live. I grew up on a song, just popped into my mind, Lift Me Up Above the Shadows. Can I get a witness you raise on Lift Me Up Above the Shadows? Because there's a lot of shadows in life. This week I've gotten reports of, of people who have, you know, dire conditions in their life. And it pulls you down to the shadows, reminds you of the, not the finality, it reminds you that, that we're human beings, we're mortal, right? So bigger picture people are not people without shadows. They're not people without trouble in their life. But they refuse to let those circumstances, the imprisonment of things that are beyond their control to define them and to control their thoughts so that they end their mental life there. Paul was one of those bigger picture people. Smaller picture people 
see the devil and the difficulty. Bigger picture people see God through their trials. Smaller picture people have the short view. Bigger picture people have the long view. Smaller picture people are motivated by the fear of failure. Like the one talent man who said, boy, I knew you were a hard man. Sowing where you didn't reap and gathering where you didn't straw. I hid it. He saw his master as an enemy. Smaller picture person. But bigger picture people, they believe that they view failure as a means of greater victory. It's just one step. You know, of all the failures of great inventors, they just see it as a stepping stone to ultimate success. So they don't get stuck when something doesn't go right for now. Smaller picture people are always talking about things that go wrong or gossipy things of people. But bigger picture people talk about great ideas and concepts. And they always, you know, they always see that glass, you know, that it is, that it is half full and that God is able to fill it all the way to the top. They're bigger picture people. Bigger picture people don't live their lives in trivial pursuit. They live their lives by the words of Jesus Christ that said, seek first the kingdom of God. That help us lift ourselves up above the prisons of our life. Smaller picture people tend to be negative, And the short view is generally negative. Right? Smaller picture people don't really see the goal at the end. They only see the difficulty of the journey that they're in right now. Bigger picture people tend to be positive. And why not? Because they know that ultimately they are the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he changes everything. Amen. Smaller, smaller picture people in the Bible like Adam and Eve eat the fruit now. Aaron, don't wait for Moses to come down from the mountain. Make that golden calf now. Achan, steal that wedge of gold, that Babylonian garment. King Saul, don't wait till Samuel comes. Offer sacrifice now. Ananias and Sapphira, why not keep back part of the price of the land and lie about it? You know, because it's just dealing with now. Smaller picture people. Demas walks away having loved this present world. Bigger picture people are like Enoch who walked with God and was not for God, took him in a personal rapture. Noah who builds 120 years, he's a preacher of righteousness. That's a long time to wait for God to keep his word. Job says those skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I will see God. He's not stuck in his circumstances. He sees a God that can turn it in a day. Abraham looks for a city whose builder and maker is God. And Moses refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ as greater riches than the treasure of Egypt, for he had respect. Unto the recompense of the reward. He saw past now to the bigger picture of what God had planned for him in his future. Bigger 
picture people. When Satan is offered the kingdoms of the world, they flash before him in a moment. And he turns away from the temptation of Satan, Matthew chapter 4 and 8. He will not trade the long-term better future for the short-term pleasure of right now. For the joy, Hebrews 12 said, that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the throne of God. It is Philippians that talks about him being highly exalted and given a name which is above every other name. He would not get stuck in that cross, in death, in humbling himself. He looked past that was a bigger picture person. There's a passage that to me gives a window into Paul's soul, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, New King James. Now, I've spoken to some leaders in the last couple of years from this text of things that have happened to me. But I like the way Paul says this. It's not, not bad decisions on my part, although we can all make bad decisions. Paul said, but there's, there's some things that have happened to me. I was just driving down the road minding my own business when they ran into me. I was just living my life when I had this collision with Illness, I had this unfortunate thing, the things that have happened to me. But Paul is this bigger picture person. And, and he's got people that are worrying about him. The Philippians are worrying about him. And they said, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And by the way, let me pause right there to say, isn't that what really matters after all? Not how are you doing today, but is God's kingdom better? Is Paul better off? I don't think so. Personally, he said to live as Christ, to die is gain. We'd be better off to die. Is it better to, to have your head cut off for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I don't think so. Read about a day and a night and then meet then the deep, thrice beaten by, by rods. He's he, by, beaten by rods. Paul goes through unbelievable difficulties for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the things that have happened to him aren't necessarily better for Paul in the short run. He said, I fill up in turn the sufferings of Christ that are behind of Christ. He said, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. I'm, my mind is going faster than my mouth tonight. I apologize for that. So that it is, this is verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become more confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The things that have happened to me, the King James says, has fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. The things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the good. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. Some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish, selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. 
but the latter out of love, knowing that I am an appointed for the defense of the gospel. So there's some people out there preaching that don't have a right motive. And there's some that have the right motive. But look at Paul's bigger picture idea. Verse 18. What then? Only then every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. Now Paul doesn't say this here, but here's what I know. An insincere person can preach the word of God, and the word of God has life in itself. It is like a seed. And even if, it, if a bad guy plants a good seed in a sincere heart, something's going to happen. So you could say that Paul was being philosophical. He's saying, you know what, I know there's some people out there. They're not really true blue. They've got a bad motive. But guess what? They're preaching Christ. And when they do, someone out there is believing it. And I can rejoice in that. Now he, could have, he could have been a smaller person, picture person. Said, yeah, I tell you what. There are some bad people out there and they're just really undermining the work of God. That's all, that's all he could have seen. Amen. He said, I rejoice and will rejoice. Kind of rubs it in a little bit, you know, to all the negative people. For I know, verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Bigger picture people. When I read Philippians 1, those verses, I'm kind of blown away by the incredible outlook of the Apostle Paul, his attitude. He's reflecting on the things that have happened to him, and a lot has happened to him. But much more important than what has happened to him is what is happening in him. You see, it's when the stuff that happens to you gets in you and shapes your view of doubt and negativity, pessimism about the work of God in your life and about the people of God. That's the problem. That's the, that's the determining factor to whether you become a person of faith or a failure spiritually. It's how you respond to the things that happen to you. The Romans have nothing for Paul. And they really don't care if he lives or dies. There's a lot of Jewish people that want him dead. And at one time, 40 men bound themselves with an oath that they would not eat until they killed Paul. I like the way that turned out. I'm not sure how long they didn't eat, but 
you lived for years, so it would have been a long fast. <laughs> there were Christian brothers. Some were insincere, preached Christ of selfish motives. Some were very sincere people that had the wrong ideas. Sometimes even the Apostle Peter had the wrong idea. Paul said, I had to withstand him to his face. He was at fault for the way he was kind of, you know, he would eat with the Gentiles, and when Jewish people would come, he would withdraw himself, and he was being inconsistent. I had to front him up. Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul have a contention, and so sharp that they go separate ways. The things that have happened to me, there's a lot. But ultimately, Paul knows, I'm not going to be absorbed into this system. I'm not worried about what's going on in Rome or in Jerusalem or among false brethren or all the powers that be. For I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He holds the keys to my jail cell. And no one else can take it away from me. If I die, I die. If I live, it's good for you to live as Christ, to die is gain. So what about you in the circumstances that you're facing in your life? Have you been stuck in what you're experiencing right now in your life? Circumstances, the evil system, the prison of your past, prison of abuses of others. What, you know, what prison is trying to hold you captive? The guilt of wrong decisions that you've made in your life, regrets that you get up with every day. What makes you a prisoner is your willingness to see the hand of man instead of the hand of God. Paul says, there's a lot of stuff that's happened to me. But I, Paul, am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'll live by that, and I'll die by that. So once again, you cannot control the things that happen to you. But you can take control of the things that happen in you. God has given us the privilege and the power of choosing. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. You can say yes to the temptation of Satan. Or you can say yes to the command of God. You can be Cain and you can do well. Or if you do not do well, sin lieth at the door. You can choose you this day. Whom you will serve. God has given us the privilege and the power to choose. And I know that for some, there may be a lot more forces working against you than for other people. But no one, anywhere, ever has to succumb to circumstances or wrong attitudes or temptation in our lives. We can all understand that there is a God that has given us the privilege to do the right thing. And when we make the decision to do the right thing, that His power will enable us to do what we have chosen to do every time. <laughs> Repentance is a change of mind 
of heart, of life direction, away from sin and toward God. Repentance, the Greek word metanoia, a change of mind. But it has been my observation, and it's a biblical truth, that the thing that God has chosen to not do for you is to repent. He has chosen to not change your mind. But every time a sinner repents, there is the grace of God that comes flowing into their life. There is a source that comes from a higher power to give them the ability to do what they have decided to do. And if that is true for a sinner that has lived their life in sin, how much more will God come to our rescue? Will he come to our aid? Will he give grace to us? If we will say, by the grace of Jesus Christ, I will choose to do the right thing. I will be a bigger picture person. I've got to say, I, Daryl John, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Why don't you personalize it right now and say your name. I, fill in the blank, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Why don't we stand right now and give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is ultimately in charge of everything all the time. That's it. Lift up your voices to the Lord and thank Him. Hallelujah. 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 Please remain standing. Our worship team is coming. One of the greatest snares of life is when bad people. come into your life and throw you in jail. If there's such a good God, why did this happen to me? Blame God for what bad people did to us. And then our culture is rife with victim mentality people. And certainly there are many victims, many victims literally victims of abuse victims of the system victims of of all kinds of things without all trying to name a bunch of things they're literal victims but to live with a victim mentality and let that define you as true as it may be it will not help you it won't help you can become an excuse. I, Paul, prisoner of false brethren. Yeah, blame it on them. I, Paul, the prisoner of the general board, the ruling body of the church. Those rascals told me to take that vow. And while I was in that season of that vow, the Jews came in the temple, took me out. And you talk about injustice, brothers and sisters. That's an unbelievable injustice. Bad advice from godly leaders. Perceived bad advice anyway, I think it was. 
And as true as that was, Paul saw the hand of God at work through it all. He's above all. He's through all. And he's in you all. I, Paul, prisoner of Jesus Christ. So we can choose life or death. We can choose heaven or hell. We can choose to forgive or hold a grudge. We can choose to let go of the past or live in the past. We can choose to see the micro view or we can choose to see the macro view. We can choose to be little picture people or bigger picture people. And if you choose like Paul, you will be able to see the hand of God at work in your life and all that happens to you. Amen. If you're able, why don't you join me at the front? Let's take a few moments to pray. And I really want you to just receive the grace of God tonight. I don't want you to feel corrected or beat up. I don't want you to feel worse than you already do if you're feeling bad about yourself. That's also counterproductive. Amen? But I want you to say, Lord, help me. Lift me up above the shadows. We don't have to sing that. I know you're glad. Lord, lift me up above the shadows. Help me see. Help me see. Help me see. Amen? Praise God. Let's believe that the Lord changes everything, starting with changing us. Amen? We're going to take a time to pray. I want you to just kind of open your heart to God and receive the grace of God. That's the strength of God that comes in your weakness right now in Jesus' name.